they're having a somewhat embodied experience. You know, they're feeling some of the pleasure, but oftentimes all the emphasis is on the orgasm and there's not, or the, you know, the climax. And so there's not necessarily an orgasmic experience throughout. It's like building, building, building to this one moment rather than getting to take in all the goodness of the entire experience, whether that's sex on your own or with a partner or partners. So the first step is really to start to bring your attention to your body. So welcome to the Give and Consent podcast. The goal behind this show is to introduce you to the people and ideas behind sex positivity. And today I am joined by Jessica Graham. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because um, uh, as part of what I do with Sex Positive, we do a book club and we just recently read your book, Good Sex, which um, I have here with me. It was good read. Um, and I wanted to dive into a lot of the concepts behind it because uh, you're not only someone who teaches about uh, relationships and meditation and mindfulness, which we'll dive into. I know that you're also doing filmmaking and acting and counseling with people. So you're, you're kind of the expert behind uh, connecting that mind-body experience and then also healing trauma that comes. So I think where I wanna start is around mindfulness because one of the first concepts in your book is this idea that we kind of have this concept that you get out your little pillow and your yoga mat and that's where the meditation happens and I love that you break it down for anyone to do it so uh, can you talk a little bit about like what you're talking about there in terms of getting a meditation practice started and what the benefit of that is absolutely so yeah, the number one thing that people say when they're trying to begin a meditation practice is I'm doing it wrong. In some way, people feel like they're doing it wrong. They feel like their mind is too noisy or they're meditating not long enough or they're doing the wrong practice or there's always this sense of like, not always, but a lot of the time, the sense of it not being done correctly. And so the first thing that I like to say is there are so many different ways to practice and you find what feels good for you and then really let go of this idea that you have to get it right. Um, you know, there may be some teachers and some traditions that say there is this correct way, um, but that's not how I roll. Um, so the first thing is to find a practice that works for you. The thing I love about mindfulness is that there's a lot of different options within the practice of mindfulness. And you can also bring mindfulness into your day-to-day, -day, which is a really important aspect of it because meditation doesn't just happen on the cushion. In fact, my life really changed when I brought the meditation practice, the mindfulness practice into my day-to-day -day life, into my relationships and ultimately into sex. So if you're wanting to get a practice started, there are tons of apps now, you know, that, that can support you with that. I know a lot of people like Insight Timer. Um, I'm a contributor on Simple Habit, which, um, you know, offers meditations for just about everything. And some of my mindful sex practices are on there. And um, actually, if you go to my website, there's on the FAQs, there's like a week free for Simple Habit. If any of your viewers want to check it out. Um, so using an app can be helpful just to kind of get going. Um, that's not what's going to work for everyone though. For some people, you might choose to get a coach, get somebody, you know, like me or many of the other great meditation teachers out there who can support you in your practice and getting it started. But the main thing is to do it. 
right? So whether you sit and do it on your own or with an app or with a coach, the practice being consistent most days. So I love to say every day, but let's say five days a week, five days a week, you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes and you just pay attention to your breath or you listen to the sounds around you or you, you know, follow sensations in your body. Just that small commitment of 10 or 15 minutes, five days a week can really start to build up a practice, which then you can start to bring into day to day. Yeah, no, I, I love that idea of starting small with it because it, it can be really intimidating when someone says you have to do this 30 minutes and it's got to be five days a week. So taking it less structured, I think is really helpful. How do you connect this? Uh, when we're talking about mindfulness and meditation and paying attention, how do you connect that uh, to, to your sex life? Hmm. Well, for a lot of folks, there is a big emphasis on the mind during sex. There is a lot of anxiety around sex and around pleasure for all kinds of reasons. And there's a lot of different directions we could go talking about that. But in general, people are not in their bodies. They're not having an embodied experience of sex. They're having a somewhat embodied experience. You know, they're feeling some of the pleasure, but oftentimes all the emphasis is on the orgasm and there's not, or the, you know, the climax. And so there's not necessarily an orgasmic experience throughout. It's like building, building, building to this one moment rather than getting to take in all the goodness of the entire experience, whether that's sex on your own or with a partner or partners. So the first step is really to start to bring your attention to your body. And so if you sit down and you do a pleasure awareness practice, let's say, where you're noticing things that feel good in your body and you're bringing your attention back each time you get pulled into the mind or get pulled into something else external or uh, an experience in the body that maybe isn't pleasant, you're just coming back again and again to this experience of pleasure in your body. That's going to start to attune you to pleasure throughout your day, including during sex. Another thing that I like to suggest to people is to have a, a daily pleasure awareness practice of three things, three moments of pleasure in your day. And so what you'll do is you'll just notice throughout the day, anything that feels good. That could be everything from masturbation to eating a delicious sandwich, to peeing when you really need to pee, to drinking like a perfectly temperatured glass of water when you're thirsty. You notice these moments of pleasure and you lean into them. You attune to them. Then at the end of the day, write down three moments of pleasure that you've experienced. Mm. And it's kind of like a gratitude list. It's a pleasure list. And when you write down each of these experiences that you've had, take a moment to again, sort of relive, re-experience the pleasure. And some of the experiences are gonna be easy to relive. Some of them might be a little more abstract or kind of a little harder to tune into, but do your best to recreate that experience of pleasure in the body and feel it again. And so these two practices of sitting in meditation, noticing what feels good and noting pleasure throughout the day and then reflecting on it can start to get you accustomed to feeling what's happening in the body when you're experiencing pleasure. And then you can also bring it into masturbation. There's an embodied self-pleasure practice I like to give folks. And then ultimately, you can start to be able to bring it into partnered sex and it does get easier and easier with practice, just like learning to play the piano or any other sort of 
you know, skill, it's a skill to be able to attune to pleasure and to be able to attune to pleasure while with another person. And then from there, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can build and expand your pleasure awareness, as well as your sort of consciousness and wakefulness and connection during sex. Yeah, I love that. Um, do you find that people have some resistance to doing these things? Because I know I've certainly run into resistance myself when trying to practice these. Yeah, definitely. A lot of resistance can come up around um, being with pleasure. And you know, one reason is we're just not accustomed to it. You know, We're used to paying attention to what doesn't feel good or being sort of lost in the mind. And so that's what we're used to. Those are the neural pathways we, that have been carved. And so, and then there's also the negativity bias that we have as human beings. And if you add in, you know, adversity and trauma, um, you're even more attuned to looking for the problem and trying to stay safe. And, you know, the way that the world is these days, you know, I was just remarking to my partner the other day, he was like trying to figure out some password for something and on, on his computer. And I was like, you know, our brains just are not evolving at the pace that all of this stuff is evolving. And which, you know, the whole singularity thing. And it, it we're like stressed in this low level way all the time because of just the the technology that we interface with every day. And, you know, that's obviously a bigger conversation, but, you know, we're, we're really not attuned to feeling good. And, and we're all sort of hyper vigilant, hyper like aware of like, where's the threat for good reason, right? We can look at what's been happening in our world um, pretty easily see why we might be on high alert. But because of this, it's hard to slow down and just be with pleasure in the body. For some people, it might feel like uh, it might feel unsafe. Now, another reason it might feel unsafe is if the body is not a safe, hasn't been a safe place for us to be because of trauma, especially when we talk about, um, you know, sexual pleasure. So many of us have experienced some, at least some level of sexual abuse or sexual harassment or sexual assault. I mean, it's sexual trauma is... I've rarely talked to someone who hasn't experienced it. And so um, being in the body might feel unsafe for that reason. So tuning into pleasure, especially sexual pleasure, there could be a lot of resistance that comes up around that. And that's why you just wanna take it really slow and you wanna be really resourced. So oftentimes if I'm working with someone who's feeling a lot of resistance to paying attention to pleasure, you know, we, we find ways to work with it that do feel safe. And that might be as simple as let's just learn to focus on a place in our body that feels neutral, just a place that feels neutral. And that can be a way to start. And that's a resource practice inspired by uh, somatic experiencing the work of Peter Levine. And by learning to resource, whether that's in an experience in our body or maybe something external, like looking around the space, just noticing that it's safe, there's no threat, or focusing in on a favorite color in your room or listening to a song that just feels good. These kinds of practices, these resource practices um, can start to help create a sense of safety. And then slowly we can start to graduate into like, okay, what's it like to be with pleasure in a more immediate way? What's it like to be with sensual or even sexual pleasure? And look, for some people, it's not about any of that. It's just like new. 
So there's like getting used to the new thing and the part of us that's like a contrarian that wants to go to something other than what we're, you know, trying to focus on. So it doesn't need to be all about like trauma and hypervigilance. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm learning a new skill. I'm learning to focus on my body in this particular way. And again, it just takes practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you're saying that, I'm reminded of kind of the concept in that when you focus on gratitude and what's feeling good, it actually rewires the brain. Is, is that part of what you do with your trauma work? Yeah, so I definitely am all about let's rewire the brain towards pleasure. Um, but again, that's different for everyone. So it's like, Get a, get a work based on where we are. And so self-love comes in a lot and self-compassion comes in a lot and rewiring the brain towards self-love and self-compassion. I'm, I'm really inspired by EMDR as well. And while I'm not a therapist, so it's, I'm not certified in EMDR, I do work with EMDR inspired practices and using a bilateral stimulation to kind of tap in positive experience and resource can be really, really helpful. Something I do a lot of for, for myself, but also um, invite my clients and students into as well. And it's, you know, it's a really powerful modality to help us um, strengthen our capacity to be with pleasure, strengthen our capacity to, um, you know, be with a positive experience. And when we run into those walls and it's like, you know, whether it's like, I don't deserve it or, um, you know, I'm broken, it's not possible for me, bringing in self-love and self-compassion, you know, you know, there's lots of ways to do that, but that's a really, really important um, piece of all of this as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, who, who is this kind of for? Like, what transformation do you see? Because when I observe people, uh, I'm sometimes surprised that they're unaware that they're under a certain stress level that's that's keeping them locked up. And it's, it's sometimes only when they have the experience that they start to recognize something's missing. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that, right? Like there've been so many times in my life where I've been like, oh, wow, I had no idea. Like, I remember when a couples therapist, and this was not that long ago, this was about maybe seven or eight years ago, couples therapist said to my partner, how do you um, relate to Jessica's anxiety? And I was like, I'm a meditation teacher. What are you talking about anxiety? And then I was like, oh yeah, my anxiety that I've lived with for most of my life. And yes, it's changed. It changed in all kinds of ways at that point. Like it had, I had healed and grown and gained lots of tools, but there was still this kind of anxiety there. And it, it really like, at first I had a lot of resistance to it, but then I was like, oh, right. Like, you know, this is, this is just the work right now is to like address this in a, in a meaningful way. And so those moments where we, we realize that we've been unconscious around something what amazing moments. And if we can teach ourselves to embrace and feel gratitude for those moments, awesome. Though I know that's hard to do because it can, it can be really frustrating when we um, find another layer of whatever it is, trauma, you know, insecurity, anxiety, whatever it is, um, can feel like, but I already did all this work. Why do I have to keep working? And what I try to do with folks is just like really um, support 
the idea that this is a journey that we're on. It's a journey. And these are just invitations to like, look at another aspect of the journey and to feel back another layer and to go deeper into the spiral of healing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, it's a beautiful thing to see people have those moments and then answer the call and experience the transformation that's possible um, because it is possible. It's, it's possible for all of us to continue to heal more, heal and awaken more deeply. Yeah. No, I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I know that you've also offered um, like weekend meditations weekly and then also meditation retreats. What, what do you, what is that like for, for you? So I've been teaching meditation now for, I think it's, it's been about 13 years and I have this long running class on Sundays that it's, it's showed up in all different forms, but right now it's on Facebook and Instagram live. And, um, it's, you know, it's a donation based class and, and I love it. It's, it, it's, you know, it's a beautiful community that's like evolved and changed in all kinds of ways over the years. Um, it's, really important for me to be able to offer what was offered to me. You know, I, I had, you know, teachers who were able to offer me very low cost slash free um, instruction. Um, and so while I can't necessarily do that for people one-on-one, -on -one, I try to find ways to be able to offer it, um, you know, to be accessible for anyone donation based. And so the, the meditation retreats, um, I actually, I've started doing that with my partner, Chris, and we offered on a sliding scale and try to like make it as much like a residential meditation retreat as possible, even though it's virtual. And we had a really great experience um, last month with people um, from all over the world, you know, that, that joined us for the retreat. And um, it's really, it's really special to see how spending three days or four days in a, you know, in silence and in practice can have um, such a profound effect on people. It was, it was very cool to see. And um, I do other kinds of retreats and workshops as well. I, um, I did a sexual well-being retreat at Esalen last year, um, which was really cool. Um, really, really fun to see people go through that process. And it was, um, you know, fun, but also some of it was quite um, challenging and deep and uh, to see people kind of show up and um, be willing to to look at aspects of their sexuality and how more well-being could be brought in. So stuff like that is something that I do as well. And then, you know, like I really, I'm really into human connection, human, human connection and self-compassion and self-love and sort of like the, the magical nature of all of that. So that's something I work with a lot as well. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking of, because you came by the book club to answer some questions. I'm thinking about the fact that we teach mindfulness, we teach this holistic approach to health, the idea that um, taking care of yourself is related to your overall health. So maybe if you had a better diet, you would need the, the medication for X, Y, or Z. And then that you had noticed that there hadn't been somebody who'd really connected the mindfulness and the sex life because your sex life is a huge piece of holistic health and how you feel about your body and how you feel the pleasure in your body. And um, I wanted to touch on that as to like why you originally wrote the book, Good Sex. 
Yeah. So the good news is, is a lot of people are starting to talk about it now. Like yeah. mindful sex is a thing now, which is just awesome. Um, but yeah, when I first got interested in it, um, I had been meditating pretty seriously for about a, a year, I guess. And uh, I came home from a meditation retreat. May not have been that long. May have been more like six months, but I came home from meditation retreat and I was like, okay, like meditation is blowing my mind. My, I'm like, I, you, my, there's been this massive paradigm shift. Like everything is more alive than it's ever been. And this has gotta have a place in sex. And I had gone through a period of celibacy and I was in a relationship that um, was incredibly loving, but not necessarily um, sexually sort of free and abundant and, you know, expressive. And so I started to do that exploration on my own um, because it wasn't really available in that relationship. And so I started bringing the meditation practices and the mindfulness into masturbation and into, you know, my experience of reading erotica or watching porn um, or, you know, just the way I moved in my body. And I was seeking, you know, books, teachers, something that I could kind of learn from. And I didn't really find it. I was finding orgasmic meditation, which I didn't feel drawn to. Um, I was finding Neo-Tantra, which I also didn't really feel drawn to because it felt very, and this has also been changing, but at the time it felt very heteronormative. It felt very like gendered. And I was like, ah, that's not, that's not me. And there also was this sense of like drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, like buying into the sort of dogma and the belief system. And um, while obviously I'm inspired, deeply inspired by all of these traditions, um, I wanted something that was like really down to earth and really secular and that I could relate to. <clears throat> and I just wasn't finding that. So um, ultimately when that relationship ended and I entered a new one, um, I was like really ready for a sexual awakening and I, I got it. <laughs> and, um, that led to me writing about sex and mindfulness and awakening. And I wrote, um, for deconstructing yourself, which is a meditation blog and podcast. And then a publisher contacted me and said, Hey, want to write this book and you know that's how I ended up writing the book but it came from this desire to learn about something that I didn't hear anybody talking about like I wanted to know like what is something that's sex positive and you know sexually like expressive and free and creative and spiritual look like because I wasn't finding it like and even now you know, it's like for me to say, you can have a spiritual experience giving, you know, a blowjob in a bathroom at a party to someone you don't really know. People are like, no, you can't. That's not spiritual. And it's like, what spiritual compared to what? Like, what, are, what, like, what, like, what's not spiritual, first of all? And that's my question. But, um, there's a lot of people who would like to bring these kinds of practices into sex that don't fit into this sort of monogamous, maybe vanilla sort of expression of sex. And so I like to, to speak to those varieties. I think it's important. Yeah, I, I love that too, because you also highlighted in there um, 
watching porn and having a mindful experience. And I know that you talk about that specifically in the book, like these, these things that we've associated with being very bad or, um, you know, addictive in nature, like porn can be. And, and what, what are your thoughts on all that and how you make it into a mindful experience? Yeah, well, the number one thing is um, I'm really passionate about um, being conscious and ethical about the content one consumes. Um, and it's inconvenient, <laughs> you know, because it means you can't just pop on Pornhub and watch whatever, you know, just search whatever it is your thing is and watch it. It's like, you actually need to be conscious about the process and seek out, um, you know, companies and performers, you know, and directors that are, that are creating content that is, that is ethical, where everyone's being treated fairly, where everyone's being paid well, where, you know, consent and safety are number one. Um, and that is available, right? That's very much available, but it is a matter of um, taking the time, taking the effort to find it, and then generally pay for it. And we don't want to pay for our porn because we can get it for free, right? But you know, for me, it, there's no other way at this point. Like I hit a, a point, I don't, you know, years ago now where I was like, oh, I literally cannot look at that other content. Like it feels bad in my body. Um, so eth ethical is number one. Um, then it's about how am I taking this content in? Am I taking it in like, Am I taking it in the way that I've been scrolling the last couple of days, given what happened at the Capitol, which is not conscious, right? Like I've just been like, oh God, oh God, you know, and having to take breaks. Or am I taking it in, you know, with mindfulness and presence, right? Like, am I aware of what's happening in my body? Am I at the very least like tuning into the pleasure associated with watching the porn? Um, am I... Um, getting in touch with all the different expressions of pleasure in my body as I view it. Am I, you know, like compulsively just watching, 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 or am I letting my body sort of process the experience after I've viewed it? Uh, for, for obviously there's a lot of downsides to porn and science has been showing us this. I think there's also a lot of upsides. I think like just off the bat, like, you know, someone like me who deals with chronic pain or, you know, someone who's, who is uh, living with a disability, maybe they can't have the sex that they want to have. Well, this is a way to engage with their sexuality, right? Um, you know, what about um, a couple that is like running into a lot of challenges around um, desire levels or around creativity in, in their sexual life. Like this can be educational, right? Like there's a lot of different ways in which um, porn can be really supportive to our sex life. And the more that we bring in consciousness and mindfulness, the less likely we fall into um, the, the more destructive aspects of what it can do. Um, I think we also want to talk to our kids about porn and we want to talk to our kids about porn in a way that's not just black and white, like this is bad, but actually like from an early age, talk about it because it is a part of our lives and your kids are going to see it. <laughs> and so the more that we can be realistic about it and be like, look, this is a movie, like there's lights and cameras and these people are acting like to really educate kids and and talk about the pros and the cons of it, like really a full, um, 
spectrum is going to set, set our kids up to not necessarily fall into what we're seeing primarily with young, young boys and young men. Um, so it starts at an early age, being conscious and mindful about the content. Yeah, I found in the book club discussions, the idea of how we talk to kids about sex came up a lot because there's um, a lot of parents in the book club. And um, I, I guess I'm wanting to associate the idea of shame and trauma and how we pass that down to the next generation by not being able to talk about these topics. Yeah, man. Yeah, that generational trauma. Whew, what a beast, right? Um, that's, I mean, I've, <laughs> that's been my own personal journey of like healing my own trauma, which is, you know, an ongoing journey. Um, and also addressing the generational trauma. Um, and I don't believe this idea of you must perfectly heal your trauma before you have kids, like, because then nobody would have kids. Um, because it's like, it's a journey. It is a journey and we can make great strides and then we get to make more great strides. And so <clears throat> I think it's a, when it comes to sexuality, um, doing our own work is really incredibly important. And then, you know, being compassionate and kind with ourselves as we, um, as we teach our kids and, and being forgiving with ourselves when we make mistakes, when we screw up, because we're going to. Um, I'm, I'm a real big fan of various trauma modalities, EMDR, somatic experiencing, but there's also like body work and vocal work and, you know, movement work and, you know, journaling and just, you know, so many different ways. And I think it's, if you have experienced any kind of trauma, that's like the best investment you can make in yourself that you can make in future generations and in a way that you can make in past generations. And I won't get too like metaphysical about it. Like we can just, I can just look at my own personal experience and see how my healing work has actually trickled backwards as well. And I've seen people in my family um, step into their own healing work. Um, and that's not like me making that happen, but I am modeling something which can then have an effect. I, my grandmother came to this self-love sexuality workshop I did. And afterwards she said, you know, I, I realized that there's this line that goes all the way back, like past my mother and past her mother. And the work that you're doing is like helping to heal that line. And I, that was probably one of the most meaningful things that anyone has ever said to me, you know, because um, we, we, we do have that capability when we're willing to go in and, and do the work totally imperfectly, right? Like one day at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's in the very last chapter of your book, also talking about like, once you get started, here are places where that might be a pitfall. Like I know for, for me wanting to get it perfect and then be like, okay, I got it. The trauma, the problems, poof, solved, done. And then a week goes by and something challenging comes up and you find that you're right back where you started. So um, like what kind of challenges do you see that people um, go through when they're going on this journey or have you gone through? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think grief is a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of grief and that's, that's, I've done a lot of my own personal grief work and I'm 
I'm certified in a type of grief coaching. So I do a lot of that work with other people and grief is a, is is a major, it's, it can be a major wall that we hit and, you know, no part of you wants to like sit in grief, right? Like, it's like, no, it's horrible. But once, once you do, and this has been my experience, once I'm willing to, um, things soften and open and insight comes in and healing flows through. And um, the grieving process for me has, it, it comes in waves, right? Like there'll be a period where um, I'm not experiencing grief and then I'll be like, oh wait, here I am grieving again. And I have to kind of like reset and be like, all right, I'm in grieving mode. Um, and that doesn't need to look like my life stops and I'm like, just lie in bed and cry, right? Maybe sometimes that is the thing that needs to happen, but it's about acknowledging and allowing for that grief to be present. So I think, I think grief is something that we, um, we sometimes, uh, don't realize needs to needs to be looked at and processed certainly um i think also that perfectionism like you mentioned really comes in right and and this a bypassing of sorts where it's like um well it could it could be spiritual bypassing right like i've had these insights and i'm one with everything therefore i don't need to deal with my stuff <laughs> you know that can happen um but also just sort of bypassing by you know picking up the phone 700 times a day or, um, you know, being in relationships that keep us really distracted because they're so dysfunctional and dramatic, you know, that can keep us from looking at our stuff. Um, overworking, you know, taking in endless content and never allowing um, ourselves to integrate it, right? These can all be ways in which we bypass our experience. And so I think one of the main things that I do with people is help them to feel what they're feeling, to just slow down and feel it. And just that, just feeling and maybe giving voice to that part of yourself, it's amazing what can happen. And this is something that I continue to do in my own life, right? Like, it's not like, oh, I did that and now I don't have to do that anymore. Like, no, I need to continue and, um, and I do want to say that it absolutely gets better, right? Like for me, when I first started like my trauma healing work and sort of my sort of sexual expansion, I mean, I was always really into sex and always very sexual, but like there was a real demarcation line between like sex life before and sex life after um, really bringing the spiritual path in. Um, for me, when I, you know, when I started that journey of healing, I was in a place where if I was triggered, if my PTSD was triggered and I wasn't even diagnosed at the time, but I would go into a place where um, a, full, a full sort of trauma response would occur where my arms and legs would get ice cold because the blood was all going to my major organs to try to keep me alive. I would shake, I would, my digestive system would go haywire. It would either like shut down and I would become constipated or I'd be having diarrhea or I'd, I'd throw up. Um, I, my brain would freeze. I couldn't think, I couldn't speak. And this would, this could last for, for, you know, for long moments or even, you know, an hour, but then the consequences of that 
of my body going into that, that place would last for days, for months. And I came to realize like I was always in this low level fight, flight, freeze, and it was just waiting to be triggered. And that trauma response was intense. And when I was a teenager, I did not know what was happening to me. I thought like, this is what it feels like when someone's going to cheat on you. So you better go and scream and yell at your girlfriend. Like that's how I would like, I would think it was some sort of intuition or instinct when really I was having a trauma response and my body thought it was going to die. And so, you know, what uh, 10 years ago when I was like, wait a second, I don't think this is okay that this happens to me. And I started the journey. It only took about a year before um, that stopped happening. It completely stopped happening. And over the, between then and now, it's been this slow process of continuing to work with it. And I got to the place where I could notice just the teeniest trigger happening. Maybe I'd feel like my fingers get a little cold or a little quiver in my leg and I could pause and use my tools and not go into that trauma response. And so I share that because it can feel like an endless dark pit when you're dealing with trauma. It's not, it can get better, it does get better. And it's something that having support with is really important. I got, I got and continue to get a lot of support. Yeah. Um, that's a really beautiful story. And uh, I, it's, it's the kind of thing I've heard before where people uh, are, are learning for them where, where, what the trigger feels like, because um, uh, I, 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 I'm fascinated by the brain, even though I have no background with that, but the idea that, um, we have an amygdala, we have an emotional response that causes these physical reactions in the body. And um, you, you do hang on to that for years. How, and you talked also about like the importance of like acknowledging and feeling grief. How do you start to identify the difference between like this, the kind of victim mindset of like a terrible thing happened to me. So it's okay that this bad thing happens to my body or I can't control it is a big one. Um, how, how do you, walk people from there to actually being able to say, oh, I'm being triggered. I'm going to stop and feel it. And I'm not going to go there again. Yeah. Well, part of it is giving voice to all those young parts of self or whatever part of self went through the trauma. Like that's a really big aspect of it because there are parts of us that are sort of stuffed down in the dark basement of our psyche and that's what's getting triggered. And we need to see them and love them and let them have a voice. And so there is definitely a process of um, kind of un untangling and unraveling these these aspects of self that are in that space of truly being a victim, right? At some point, like a victim of whatever, whatever happened, untangling that from who we actually are today. And that, you know, we, we can take care of ourselves today and that we can create a safe life today. And so there's, I do a lot of inner child work with people and a lot of like, and there's a lot of different modalities and ways to do that. But basically it comes down to like allowing those parts of self to speak, allowing those parts of self to do what they need to do, right? Like I'll have, I'll be working with someone like this on Zoom and I'll say, okay, what would it feel like to turn off your camera so I can't see you 
and go and hide under your bed, right? Like they might say this part of me just really doesn't want to be seen. It's, it's feeling really scared. It's feeling like it wants to run away. And so we actually do that in the session. I'm like, okay, I want you to run away. I want you to, and, and, and I'm not going to see you. Nobody's going to see you. Right. And bring your headset. So like, I can still hear you if you want to be heard. Right. And, or maybe it's just like, I just, this isn't fair. I, I no, I don't want this. Okay. So let's say no. And just like push, push that, push that person or that experience, you know, let the body process physically, mentally, verbally, emotionally. And that starts to, um, starts to, it starts to integrate selves and it starts to, you know, release that, um, you know, stored up trauma that's in the body and that's in the mind. And so that's a big part of it. Um, and then, you know, I'm not a mindset coach. That's not my deal. It's not what I do, but, um, but certainly addressing our mindset is important, you know, and you do that healing work, you go into the space of victim, but then also you strengthen and support the part of you that knows that you're okay. This sort of like, um, deep sense of well-being and of okayness. You recognize the things in life that you are able to do, that you are currently doing. You lean into that. And so I do a little bit of the dipping into the like um, the trauma itself and then a lot of working with resource and working with um, acknowledging and celebrating the ways in which things are going well. And that's something I had to learn for myself because when before I really started my trauma journey in earnest, um, I was just doing a lot of meditation and I was like sitting with the most painful, disturbing stuff with no resource. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of learned the hard way. And so now I'm like, it's like 75% like resource and support. And then like 25% we go into the, the more challenging material. Nice. Well, that, that all sounds wonderful. Before I ask you my last question, um, where can people find you if they want more of this? Sure. Yeah. I'm at yourwildawakening.com. You can contact me through there as well as get on my um, mailing list. And then um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, which is Jessica Clark Graham. And I live stream my Sunday classes on both Instagram and my personal page on Facebook, which is just... Um, backslash Graham Jessica on Facebook. So you can, and of course those links are on my website as well. So you can find all of that there. Great. And then my last question for you is, um, uh, we're doing this in 2021. We've all been through a lot in the last year and I'm sure more is to come. Um, what advice would you have for people as a way to better get through this time, to better cope with all of what's coming up and the stressful situation we find ourselves in like sheltering in place? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think number one is to let go of the idea that there's some correct way to be going through this and that you're failing, which is what I know a lot of people are feeling, myself included sometimes, you know, to like let go of this idea that there's a correct way to go through this. We don't know how to go through this. We've never gone through this. We're not going to do it perfectly. What is perfect in terms of this? Um, and so to be really gentle and kind with yourself around that um, and to just choose small things you can do each day, right? Like, cause there can be this sense of, okay, I need to like have this whole new workout routine and I need to do this whole meal planning thing. And I need to, you know, write 
1500 words a day, whatever it is, you know, there's all these, these sort of self-improvement things we feel like we should be doing, but what if it's just, I'm going to make sure that I, I drink a liter and a half of water, maybe two liters each day. I'm going to meditate for two minutes, like just small things. I'm going to get some sun on my face once a day, just like tiny things that really do add up. Um, I think that can be really helpful because um, we definitely have this sense that we have to make these big moves and no, just tiny little steps can, can make all the difference. And to, to just keep reminding yourself that you really are deserving of love and of kindness. And it's through that self-compassion and through that self-love and that self-exploration that you actually can show up and create positive change in the world because the world needs you. And um, the more that you are resourced and taken care of within you, the more you can go out and be of service to others. Wow, well said. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, for those that are watching, definitely check out Jessica's work. And if you don't have time to get to a meditation class um, or to go to one of those workshops, um, the book will walk you through it also. So thanks for watching. Please like and subscribe and comment. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching this week's episode. If you want to see more, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that we end up in your feed. If you got something out of this personally that was helpful to you, also please leave a comment below. I love hearing the feedback about what's working and what's not. That's what makes the show better. And until next time, love you more and we'll see you then.